Chapter 7 Married to Objectification Turning Your Wife into Porn The sexual purity advice given to me during my single years was to, quote, starve your eyes, unquote, from attractive women by, quote, bouncing your eyes, unquote, away from them. When you see an attractive woman or a sexually arousing advertisement, you are to bounce your eyes away from it and look at something else. Friends have told me they were advised to wear rubber bands on their wrists so they could snap themselves every time they had to bounce their eyes. The idea behind this type of eye aversion training was if you starve your eyes from sexual stimuli, you will increase your, quote, hunger for your wife. On the other hand, if you are constantly looking at sexual stimuli, your wife can't compete and she will become less attractive to you. The theory is that your body has a set quota of sexual, quote, bowls, unquote, it desires to fill each day. If you fill those bowls up on lust, your body won't be hungry for your wife. But if you starve yourself and save the bowls for your wife, you will see her as attractive and desire her. This methodology supposedly ensures that if you do this well, you will receive a, quote, sexual payoff, unquote, in return. Footnote, Every Man's Battle, pages 125 through 139. End of footnote. While it is necessary to abstain from lust to have a healthy sex life in your marriage, this approach is fundamentally flawed at the foundational level of heart change, as well as flawed in the very definition of what sex is meant to be. While training yourself to physically, quote, bounce your eyes is a good discipline, the way the trade-off and payout is described still defines sex on Satan's terms. It might work in the short term, but in the long run, it leads to frustration and disillusionment. This discipline simply trains us how to view our wives as our porn. It still defines sex as being about body parts, not about a person. It still defines sex as an act of consuming. Instead of objectifying unknown women, for the sole purpose of our pleasure, we objectify our wives for the sole purpose of our pleasure. This is like saying, quote, We know what you really want is to go to the all-you-can-eat buffet rather than eat the bread and water at your own house. But if you stop yourself from walking into the buffet, if you starve yourself from it, eventually your body will become hungry enough that the bread and water will actually taste good to you, unquote. This is not God's intention for our marriages, nor is it a sustainable solution. This strategy enlists our wives in an unwinnable competition that still degrades them as pieces of meat. While they aren't the, quote, grade A shape and look we desire, their lower-grade bodies will carry us through our body part fix, if we are able to block everything else out, that is. Like being stranded on a desert island with only one picture of a naked woman, it's better than nothing.
This is obviously not God's design for the way we should view our wives. He would want us to see them not as consumable objects, but as whole and unique persons within a one flesh relationship. The quote, starve your eyes method still defines our wives as a set of body parts we are in love with, not as a whole person we are in love with. In God's design for intimacy, you don't fall in love with a human body. You fall in love with a human being, a whole person. There is a huge difference. This strategy is also not sustainable. Pitting your wife as an object versus the buffet of objects available in an over-sexualized world makes the latter even more desirable when a glance or a whiff of it passes by, reminding you of what you're missing out on. It's only a matter of time before this aroma becomes too strong and you stumble through the buffet doors to satisfy your watering mouth. We cannot fight fire with fire because in doing so, we concede to Satan that sex within marriage is of the same substance as sexual immorality. We are accepting his definition of sexual attraction, that it's all about body parts and objectification. The Bible calls us out on this in 1 Corinthians 6, 13-16, when it tells us sex isn't like simply filling up the stomach with food, a carnal act of consumption. It is the act of bringing two people together as one flesh, two whole people together as one whole, complete, full, deep, complex being. Bouncing your eyes so you can reluctantly consume less appetizing sexual bowls from your wife only reinforces the, quote, sex as food, unquote, mentality. Instead, you need God to rewire your mind and heart to embrace his design for sex, marriage, and ultimately, people. Turning your wife into an object. When you first get married, bouncing your eyes is fairly easy because your wife has an attractive body that is youthful and new to you. It serves as an adequate substitute to what you'd find in porn or other lustful avenues. But what happens a few years into marriage when she becomes familiar and routine or begins to put on weight? What do you do? You're now up a creek if your love for her has always been predicated on her physical appearance, and her appearance isn't what it used to be. Even if she has kept herself in tip-top shape her appearance still becomes familiar and routine, the opposite of what the world of sexual temptation offers you. Once you're up this creek, the amount of gratification you came to expect from your wife in your early years of marriage becomes just that, an expectation, an unmet expectation you feel entitled to, and we know where entitlement leads. If your wife has put on weight and it bothers you, there's a high potential you are objectifying her and you're more in love with her body parts than with her as a person. Think about it. If you love your wife less because her stomach or legs got bigger, then what is determining your love for your wife? Her body parts. And if her body parts are the predicating factor for your love, then she is now an object, not a person with a million other attributes of equal to or greater in importance than her body. 
Objectification begins with the body. If the body is good, the rest of the person is attractive or acceptable as well. You see this all the time. If a girl is hot, a guy isn't going to care if she's also materialistic or insecure or shallow. The infatuation begins at first sight. A-list celebrity women never have problems finding boyfriends, regardless of how unattractive their personalities might be. Hotness covers a multitude of sins. The guy gets his trophy and can now consume it for his pleasure. Now turn the tables. Yes, God created the woman's body to be attractive to a man, but he did not intend it to be the sum total of attractiveness. When you marry a woman, are you marrying her or her body? If you were only marrying her body, then when that body shape changes, you'd be free to leave the marriage. But obviously you are marrying her, all of her. This view of marriage means you are making a commitment and vow to love, cherish, protect, uphold, and be attracted to all of her. So your wife gains some pounds. So what? If you married her and not her weight, then this shouldn't rock your attractiveness meter. She's still your wife to cherish, protect, honor, and support. These things draw you to her. And because of these things, the extra weight she carries or the wrinkles that have set in just become part of the background. They aren't make or break issues. In fact, they provide you with an opportunity to cherish, protect, honor, and support her because she knows she's put on weight and is self-conscious about it. When you marry a whole woman and not a set of body parts, you are drawn to her sexually because of what you share together in vulnerability, trust, and commitment, not because she is this shape or that. Anything other than this puts a ridiculous amount of pressure on our wives, an unfair, unloving, and not of Christ type of pressure. If your wife feels she has to keep up with the Joneses, she knows you are comparing her to other women on a regular basis. Is that what you vowed to her on your wedding day? That she'd have to worry the rest of her life about getting a higher grade than the other women in your life? No. You vowed to her you would love her through sickness and health, ups and downs, heavy or light, thick or thin, happy or sad. The same way Jesus loves us. Release your wife from the prison of having to keep up with the standards of objectification. Release her from the soul-crushing burden of measuring her self-worth based on what the mirror reflects back. Every product, TV station, and media personality under the sun already feeds her this malicious lie. Her husband shouldn't. Loving sex or loving your wife? Ask yourself this challenging question. Do you love your wife because she's the one you get to have sex with? Or do you love having sex with her because you love your wife? A simpler and blunter way to ask this is, which do you love more, sex or your wife? Of course, the Sunday school answer is, quote, I love my wife. And your first reaction might be to argue that you can love both simultaneously. Nine years into my marriage, through some marital counseling my wife and I had sought, I realized I loved having sex and that my wife was the one I got to have sex with. That's painful for me to write. It was never intentional or conscious. It was simply the outflow of being taught that if I save sex for marriage, 
then my sex life would be great. It was the outflow of being taught that bouncing my eyes from sexual stimuli and focusing my eyes on my wife would result in a happy and God-honoring sex life. It was the outflow of being taught, at least implicitly, that the purpose of marriage was so that we could finally have sex. All of these strategies essentially say, quote, you love sex? Well, let's harness that love for sex exclusively towards one person. Technically speaking, you'll be obeying God's commands for sex, and he'll surely bless you sexually for that, unquote. Meanwhile, sex is still displayed and promoted all around us, and we still feel entitled to it. Any attempt to make it about our wife is really only a reciprocation effort to make her more receptive to giving us the sex we want, which again, is about us. This is a major problem because porn, lust, and objectification are all about us too. So marital sex conveniently fits into this selfish, well-worn groove we've carved out over the years. The whiplash effect is caused by the fact that the biblical definition of love says it isn't about us. Footnote, 1 Corinthians 13.5 says that love is not self-seeking. End of footnote. So we stand on a wedding altar and vow to our wife that we love her. But inside, we subconsciously see our vow of love as a convoluted way to serve ourselves. Sounds like Satan at his best. Undetected, deceptive, and deadly. It's no wonder it feels as if the entire world is crashing in when sex is not as frequent or as fulfilling as we expected. Is it a sin to want to have sex with your wife? Of course not. The point is that we need to place everything in the proper order. When I love my wife as a whole person, devoting myself to her, treasuring her, appreciating her as a gift of mercy I don't deserve, and when I pledge myself to her for better or worse, in sickness and health, whether richer or poorer, sex becomes a gift we share, not something I take. I can say that because I love my wife, I desire sex, rather than because I desire sex, I love my wife. And that is a huge difference. Sex becomes a small piece of the puzzle, not the entire picture. My wife becomes someone I serve, not someone I use. I'm not loving a body, I'm loving a person. And then there's a big kickback, right? Wrong. Wrong idea, wrong intention, wrong motivation, wrong foundation. For us to truly learn what love is, we have got to eliminate the kickback notion altogether. You can use sugar-coated Christianese and call it, quote, receiving a blessing, unquote. Footnote, do we receive blessings for obeying God in our marriages? Yes, of course, but the only blessing we are guaranteed is this spiritual blessing of closer intimacy with him. End of footnote. But in our hearts, where it counts, it's the same old selfishness. This kickback motivation does not lead us to love. It merely disguises the way we get our next, quote, hit as a self-addict. We need to stop telling God what we deserve or how things should be. God is the sovereign one not you or me. The book of Job, the Psalms, 
and the prophets are full of accounts of people waiting for what they thought were their well-deserved kickbacks for their faithfulness. The cycle is the same. I've obeyed God. I think God should reward me. He isn't rewarding me. But he does seem to be rewarding everyone else, especially the wicked. So now I am struggling with depression and frustration. God is not in the kickback business, but he is in the loving father business. He is in the sovereignty business, and he is in the sanctification business. And I know of nothing on planet earth that will thoroughly sanctify a man's heart more than marriage. Bounce with me. I'm certainly not arguing against bouncing our eyes away from temptation. But this action should be a natural byproduct of our strategy, not the strategy itself. This discipline is a good tool, but the wrong foundation for solving our lust problem. If we adopt it as our primary strategy, it conditions us to continue viewing sex on fleshly terms rather than on God's terms. Moreover, we never deal with the root issue and thus never actually find real freedom. The solution must be to reprogram our minds and hearts to reflect God's view of sex. When this is our primary goal, everything else takes care of itself. Yes, we still bounce our eyes, but because we no longer want to turn women into objects, not because we've mechanically whipped ourselves into submission. If we think bouncing our eyes from temptation and fixating them on our wives is the way to find sexual purity, we only end up turning our wives into objects, which is the opposite of what we're trying to accomplish in the long haul. Footnote, and of course, the quote bouncing our eyes technique gives no solution at all for single guys. End of footnote. The purpose of this chapter is to show us, whether married or single, what lust and sexual sin do to us and to women. It turns us into something like a monster, and it turns women into something worthless. Two things God obviously did not intend for his image bearers. It's also a mindset which sets us up for repeated failure in our marriages and other relationships.